Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. And welcome to Home Education Matters. And today I'm joined by Maxwell Roach from John Ayres. And I'm excited by today's podcast because it's an approach to education that we don't often see in the home education world in the UK. So welcome to the podcast, Maxwell. And let me know a little bit about your route into the educational sector. Absolutely. And thank you, Eleanor. I mean, I appreciate this. Obviously, we're in different parts of the world here. It's interesting because... uh, I think right now there was daylight savings time here in Canada, but it doesn't happen over in London. So it was was funny, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking about, oh, what time do we need to meet today and all this? But we made it here. So this is fantastic. But yes, uh, it's it's been great. I mean, life has been definitely quite, quite uh, eventful and quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, You know, many different industries, you know, sort of started out in the music industry for the most part, and studied uh, in a city called Edmonton, Alberta, studied there, and then moved to Toronto, Ontario, where I got my degree and uh, in in jazz performance as a drummer. And I pretty much eventually, almost immediately started touring the world, which was really great. Lots of fun, fantastic, you know, sharing stages with artists, you know, including, say, Beyonce and the Rolling Stones. And, you know, I had the the uh, the drummer from the Rolling Stones. He was he played my drums at one point. So it was a lot of fun, right? Lots of different stories and very wide in that respect. And it was interesting to see how what music does and how it touches people. Right. But not only that, from the business side, how the how the networking works. Right. So this was something that I was able to extrapolate and take into many different industries that I worked in as well, uh, going to the tech industry, going to the food industry, right? going into childcare. I was running a childcare as a CEO at one point, right? And then eventually into now the tutoring uh, sector, which has been fantastic, right? I'm, I've I, I've really been loving every moment of, of how things have been moving. But I found really, you know, going through the, the music industry that it's very important to understand that learning a skill and knowing how to translate that skill and show people how to learn that skill is very important, right? I was teaching in music as well, right? So, and the thing is, is that what differentiated a great teacher from a teacher that may not have been, you know, as effective is understanding how to learn yourself, but also how to teach people how to learn in the style that they teach. And this, so, or, or sorry, in the style that they learn. And this this is where you know going into homeschooling and talking about that side of things looking at class sizes in schools and examining that seeing how scores listen here in Canada I've been having so many discussions uh, lately especially with different school boards and also with the government as well specifically about how do, what's happening in our schools what do our scores look like we have grade three assessments we have grade six assessments we have grade nine assessments in the schools and in some schools I was just looking through the data 19% of the students are achieving the provincial standard. Now, that's not very high, right? So see the 80% thinking, <laughs> what's happening, right? So this is something that's been happening in Canada for a while. And this is specifically in math as well. It's been, it's been really interesting to kind of track the data. So these are discussions that I'm having sort of with, you know, members of parliament, also with different schools at school boards uh, within our city here that we're looking to kind of push different ideas provincially because as you've you know chatted about on many of your podcasts it's very interesting to see that 
yes, there are children that learn differently, but how do we account for this in schools, right? So my kids, are, my kids are interesting, right? Now, we taught our children to do uh, long division by the time they were three years old, right? So, you know, multi-digit multiplication, all these things. So now I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. I mean, they go into class and it's not an issue, right? Now they're just kind of, they're hanging out. They, they enjoy going to school, which is great. My son, sometimes he comes home and he says, ah, the math was too easy, dad. And I'm like, well, it's what it is, right? Just keep going, right? So it's been great to see, but they're they're functioning very well. You know, socially, they're functioning very well as well. Uh, also on the academic side, it's been great. You know, there are a lot of students that are struggling out there. So that's really why I got into the business. You know, my wife and I, we really, you know, we pushed this forward. We were creating. And for those who, who can see, we also have our books that have been coming out as well, which has been great. So, you know, these books are very simple in context and in explanation of different skills when it comes to mathematics and reading and things like that. And learning as a drummer, going back to the musician side of things, as a drummer, everything is is very, it breaks down to the molecular level is what I like to say. So if you need to learn how to play what we would call single stroke rule. So all that is, is it's just right, left, right, left, right, left until you're playing extremely fast, right? Very simple, right? In order to learn this, all you have to do is break it down to the molecular level. You feel what the stick feels like in your right hand. You feel what it feels like in your left hand. You feel what it feels like when you go with both hands. Turn on what's called a metronome and just go as quickly as you can according to the speed that you've set for yourself and uh, you know, continue to increase that speed. This is a very basic way of learning something. In education, what I'm finding is that the reason that we're so successful is because we break things down to the molecular level. And that's what I'm noticing in the books itself, why people are so excited about it is because it's very, very, very basic, right? Especially for children, right? They need it that way. And to be honest, adults need it this way too, but that's a whole other conversation. So this concept that we were using with our own children, we pretty much just expanded into having other children learn using this method as well. Right. And we have our own curriculum that we developed and everything. Right. But it's been successful. I mean, we've been growing it more and more teachers uh, on our team as well, and also just more and more students. So, really, I think going from music into all these different industries, eventually landing in childcare and saying, I'm not sure about how, you know, this childcare is working right now within our, our, uh, our country and in our province. I'm going to try and do this on my own. And then taking what we did with our kids and expanding it, you know, into a business has been such a rewarding process. And it's been incredible. It's been a lot of fun. To be honest, it's just been a, a trajectory that I would have never imagined. Not not too many downs. I don't really lose students, you know, because what I'm noticing is that, again, they're coming from the classroom and they're looking for something to really help it, uh, in an individualized process, right, to help fix their any issues that the children may be having. So that's a bit of a, a winding way to kind of show you sort of where I got to where I'm, I am right now. And, but it's been great. The journey, I would not trade it for anything. Was it having children yourself that made you sort of think about the way we educate children? So this is actually, this is an interesting question because for those who are listening, right? So I'm a black individual, right? So our culture is very interesting in, in the sense that, you know, in the media, it may be portrayed a certain way. Right. For myself growing up, you know, I grew up amongst not necessarily a primarily black neighborhood. So, you know, I had a lot of influence for those who were, you know, more more of the white culture. Right. So seeing how 
they were raised and seeing who their parents were. And again, my parents were fantastic. I'm so fortunate to have the parents that I had really great. But, you know, when it comes to looking throughout our culture, education has always been something that that almost has not necessarily been promoted. I mean, even in the schools, we don't necessarily see a lot of black teachers in the neighborhoods that I am. Even when we look online, we don't see things like black teachers, right? We don't see these things. They may, they're obviously there in the cities where it's mostly black dominated, but in the grand scheme, when it, when, when we're looking at, you know, on a, on a global scale on things that are, uh, especially in the Western world as well, that are, when things are promoted, it's generally not necessarily from the black culture when it comes to teaching education, right? So, that was a very important to me. My kids need to know what they're doing. They need to be smart. They need to understand how the world works and they need to thrive. So that was always my, both my wife and I have always thought the same thing. So that was the very important piece when we were moving forward in introducing education as early as we could with our children. So academic achievement for you was something that you saw as, as almost like a, a kind of act of rebellion against what you, you know, sort of a kind of I don't know how to put it, but like a kind of, I want to say white oppression, but it, it maybe sounds a bit extreme, but that I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And absolutely, you know, when it comes to oppression, there's, I'm, I'm not an, I, I don't think in that respect at all. Right. I mean, my personal interactions, I always, I always tell this story about how, you know, I, I was, I have a smart car, right. And I'm sure not too many people have smart cars, but I have a smart car and I was driving, you know, uh, heading home. I think it was from a gig as well. How do I fit drums into a smart car? I don't know. <laughs> I, when you need to do it, you need to do what happens. Right. So I'm driving home and I actually got pulled over by a police officer. Right. So, you know, the first thing that I think of again, as a black individual is, okay, I need to make sure everything's in check. And again, I've never been but you know, generally when I'm, when I, you know, a, a cop sort of pulls me over, it's not an issue. I've never really had an issue, but for some reason I still feel tense, right? It's just kind of what has, it comes with the territory for what, however, you know, you want to take that. Right. So, but you know, when the police officer comes, you know, I'm speaking a certain way, we're having conversation. I'm telling him where I'm coming from, you know, it's late at night and my smart car doesn't have cruise control. So I'm sorry. I don't know how exactly how fast I was going. And to be honest, I rarely ever get tickets. I mean, the, the the police officer said, well, here, you know what? Go ahead. Just slow down. Be careful. Right. Not an issue. And it's just the way that I present myself. So like you said, I like that term that you mentioned when you said that it's almost like a rebellion. But I would almost say it's a rebellion against how some of our culture is portrayed. Right. Mm. I think that's the rebellion. It's not a rebellion against the white oppression. I would say it's more so because I don't believe that there's any oppression in that respect at all. I don't, I don't think that's an interesting or I don't think that's a, a fun road to travel down, you know? <laughs> so why not figure out how to make things fun in general? And of course that comes to teaching as well, right. And tutoring and whatnot. Uh, but there, there are always ways to fix anything that may be happening with you in your life or anyone, right. That you just need to lean into the things that are positive. So I've always found success in that. And that's how I've always decided to move forward. So um, I like that, that how, how you mentioned that, though, it was it's almost like a rebellion. I'm saying, you know what, my kids are going to be smart and there's no there's no argument against this. And it's great because the the practices that we implemented, we're seeing the results. So and we're also seeing the results in our other children that we're actually tutoring. So it's it's honestly always only been positive. So for you, it's more like a protection against preconceptions. So being able to sort of allow your child to move away from any preconceptions. Absolutely. I think that's very important. And also to be able to set an example as well. I think it's, it's very important when you see more people like you doing something, then you're you're more inclined to feel as though you 
can do that thing as well. That's what I've noticed anyway from from being in being in my culture. That's a weird way of saying it, but yes. I mean, the home education community in Britain is its own little ecosystem, you know, in its own little community. And I think there's a lot of preconceptions around home education in the UK as well. And so I know that on a much more minor sort of level, I always say to my children when we're out and about, you know, you're representing the home ed community, you're representing homeschoolers, you're representing home educators. So think about what you say, think about how you behave, think of, you know, because you are the representatives. And and I think there's always an element of that when you're, when you're, you know, in any way marginalized in society, you feel that you have to just stand up that little bit higher. You know, you know what's really interesting about this conversation, right, Eleanor? I was not expecting that this would be going in this direction. This is the last place, you know, I'm thinking, hey, we're going to talk about school. And thinking about, but this is very important because I have this theory. I call it the normalization theory. One day I'm going to write a book on it, right? And because I feel as though from all of the different industries, industries that I've been in, from all the experience that I've had, you know, traveling to different parts of the world, jumping in here in different positions and there and other ones, that in general, everything is is pretty much the same, right? Now, I say normalization in the sense of, you know, when you normalize something, you sort of um, uh, just make it sort of equal in one respect, right? And when I'm in the tech industry, you know, listen, when I went into the tech industry, we were raising money, you know, millions of dollars. Um, I had to go in and speak with postdocs and, and uh, postdoctoral students, uh, with professors about their deep learning and machine learning practices and their research I was not going in with this information, with this knowledge, right? This was something that was learned during the time. But because I had known how to learn something previously, I just applied the same skill sets and the same knowledge and the same practices in order to learn something else. And let me tell you, I was thrown into these uh, conferences (laughs) blindly pretty much. But, you know, I had a little bit of information. I knew how to learn. I knew how to speak and all of these things. You just apply it from one place to another. And then you move that over to the food industry. You move it over into childcare. You move it over into starting your own businesses, right? Whether you're creating apps, whether you're starting a tutoring business, whether you're starting whatever it is, right? Whether you're homeschooling your children, it's all the same practice. And like you said, it doesn't matter. And I wouldn't say again, because I think part of what you mentioned was that, you know, on a more minor scale, I just don't believe that anything is more or less than the next. If we actually just go for something in the same intensity that we would, no matter what the situation is, then we should see the same type of results. Right. So I definitely applaud you for saying, hey, listen, you're representing a community here being the homeschool community, because one of the main things which I would love to speak to you about as well is the social element, because this is a large topic, and I'm sure that you've discussed as well with many others, that while you're homeschooling your child and they're not getting any social uh, you know, interaction with other children, right? Again, I, our children, I would argue and say that our children aren't really getting the social interaction uh, that many others would probably think, you know? So, and they're in, they're in the public school. Uh, well, I guess I'd say the Catholic school and also a French school, right? So they're out there and they're they're you know uh, connecting with other students. But at the end of the day, I would love to hear sort of on your angle and on your side what that looks like from the social front, right? Because that's that's one of the biggest arguments that happen in in homeschooling. Yeah, I, and it's it's a it's a big topic as well over here when it comes to home education. People are worried that if they take their child out of school or don't put them into school, that they will not have that exposure to social um, or different different social opportunities. 
And I mean, there's so many answers. I mean, there's so many answers that home educators trot off when it comes to socialising. And I can give you the, the the main headlines are they get to socialise with all sorts of different people, all sorts of different ages, all sorts of different backgrounds, not just 30 other children of the same age. Also, as you said, in school, you're if you start talking to the child next to you, you tend to get told off. So it's, <laughs> in lots of ways, school doesn't really like socialising. Um, however, I will say that I do think that one thing that isn't talked about enough in the home education community are the, are the the social negatives of home educating. And it's actually something I'm hoping to do a podcast on because certainly as children get older into their teens, many home educators in this country put their child into college around about 14 for the social aspect. Because as they get a little bit older into teens and particularly girls, they like to have that kind of tribe around them. It can be a challenge and it can be something that we perhaps shy away from talking about because we don't want to put people off home educating. And I and mm. if your child is having a terrible experience in school, I would never say don't pull them out because they might be a bit lonely because I suspect a little bit lonely would be a massive improvement on being traumatized every day in a school environment. Mm. However, there is no doubt that if your child is joyously happy at school, academically happy, socially happy, then I would probably it's something that I would maybe con not exactly second guess, but I would just make sure you're looking around your local community and making sure there are the groups there socially to begin with before you do that. Because the last thing you want is to make your child feel socially isolated, which is a possibility as they get older and you home educate. So an interesting point there that, that you had mentioned that actually brought back a story that I was thinking about uh, in terms of, I guess, age differential, right? If you're 14 and you're going into college, or whatever it might be. Now, you know what? Let's back up because my thought process of college might be different than yours, right? Here in Canada, college means, you know, there's college, there's university. Generally, by the time you're 16, right, 17, I guess, 18 for some, you're going into university or college, right? You're doing your post-secondary education, right? In some places, college actually means high school, right? In yeah. some places. So uh, I'm not sure. Is, is that more so what you meant? Yeah, it's sort of from age 14, which is more like more like the kind of end of high school, but it's a college experience. So it's not as restrictive as school. Got it. Got it. So more like the end of high school. So what would what are the ages and, uh, you know, pardon my sort of ignorance on some of this as well. This is always learning for me as well. Uh, the ages of college, when do they usually start? Normally, children start college at 16 to 18 in this country. Okay. Home so educators sometimes put them in a little bit early, just just basically because, well, for a start, we have to pay for our exams otherwise, and they cost a lot of money. Um, sure. But also just for that social element when they're 14, actually, it's not all colleges accept 14-year-olds. And in Wales, I don't think hardly any do. So it depends whereabouts in the UK you are as well. Yes. And it's going to be the same here as well. So we're on the same page in that respect. So I, ha I, have, a, I, have, a, I have a story and I have a question and I have a thought and many things, right? So <laughs> Our son, he is six, right? So we, he was in a French school at one point. Now, this is during pandemic. It sort of started to, what I was noticing was that we're not speaking a lot of French at home. So for him, he's on the computer screen trying to learn French from a teacher that he can't really, you know, be near. And the teacher is learning how to, you know, the educator is learning how to utilize Zoom <laughs> with a class that's still 20 children and they're at home, right? So, and then when they go into school now, well, now, great, we're in class, fantastic. But then there's masks on everyone. 
So imagine trying to learn a language and you can't see what they're saying. So this is a little bit of a difficulty, right? And for myself, whether it was actually difficult for him or not, I am here to make sure, as I said earlier, rebellion, right? As you said, I should say, right? <laughs> make sure that there's going to be learning. So I don't want to take any chances. So I said, you know what? Let's take him out. Let's put him into a larger school. He's also a more quiet kind of child. And, you know, my my son and my daughter were going to the same French school at the same time. So they'd be playing with each other a lot, which is fine. I, you know, I love all of that, right? But be your own person as well. Make your own friends. And, you know, my daughter's getting older as well. She wants to play with her friends. So I said, let's let's remove him and put him into another setting. Now, when he was in that French setting, he was also in a split class where, you know, there was his grade and then there was the grade above as well within the same class, right? There were only about three or four within his own grade. And then the rest of the class, maybe like, I don't know, 15 other kids are in the grade above, but they're in the same classroom, right? Now, this is these ages of around six seven, five, some of these grade one children are five years old and some of the grade twos are seven years old. This age gap, I mean, it's big. It's And this isn't <laughs> like brother and sister that we're talking about. This is stranger to stranger, right? How How do these children really connect? How do you really make friends with someone who is, I mean, two years older than you is two years is like 30% of your life at that point. Right. So how do you, how do you make friends with someone at that age who's learning different things, who's speaking, speaking, you know, watching different YouTube videos, right. In a completely different ecosystem. Right. How do you, so my question or my thought is how does this work? If you're sending your 14 year old child into a college environment where again, not only is there the age difference, but there's also the culture difference. Right, mm. things in college this completely different than what's happening in high school, right? So, how does this? And again, maybe this is the discussion that's happening. Again, we're not necessarily homeschooling, but I'm wondering what what does this look like, and what does the success look like as well when you look at it from a social aspect? When looking at you know 14 year old going in and uh, hanging out with those who are in college, it's so interesting you say that because it is such a different perspective in the home education world, just to hear somebody say, wow, the difference between like a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, how do they interact with each other? They've got nothing in common. It's so alien to, to the home education approach where we go to meetups and there are sort of, there's a really, really broad span of ages and everybody just sort of meets people where they are, if that's, if that makes sense. They don't, there's, because they're not segregated by age um, as they are in the school system. And because that's not something they're used to, they don't, there's none of this um, in the school system. There's a little bit like, oh, they're younger than me. And they're like maybe a bit inferior because they're in like a younger class. And I don't want to hang out with them because they're babies, that kind of thing. You just don't get that in the home education world because it's not a thing because you don't segregate by age. And so as a result, the children grow up much more open about people. So they meet whoever it is where they are. So whether they are, whether they are like a 15-year-old blue-haired gay boy or whether they are like a seven-year-old hippie girl, they just meet them as people. And that's one thing, like that's one thing that I think is the most amazing thing about home educated children is you can spot them a mile off because they're such a motley crew. <laughs> There's like different ages and different ethnicities and different backgrounds and different styles, and 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 they're all completely unique. 
you don't get these um with schools you tend to get um all the children watching the same kind of programs so year eights all watch the same kind of things on youtube and year sixes all go home and watch the same kind of program and talk about and they trade the same kind of cards with each other at break time things you because that's how they survive they're in a setting where if you don't conform to the norm you're the gazelle at the edge of the pack, like the wounded gazelle, right? And nobody wants to be the outlier. It's human nature that you want to you want to be in with the gang, right? And 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 in actual fact, in schools, that is how you survive. If you're, you know, I mean, you just have to look at Hollywood and all the films to to see that if you're the sort of slightly freaky person in the class of 30, you get picked on, you get left out, nobody sits with you at lunch, all those kind of things. And so I, I think in the school system, there is a pressure to conform with your age group that it just isn't there when you're not in the school system. And so as a result, you don't get this differentiation by age. Now, that is to say, however, that my children who are 15 and 16, if there's a meetup and it's basically five-year-olds and them, they're not going to enjoy it very much, right? And they're going to complain to me afterwards that I didn't do my research properly. <laughs> however, when they were 11... Would they hang out with it? Nine-year-olds? Absolutely, fundamentally, completely. Uh, when they were seven, they hung out with five-year-olds. When they were nine, they hung out with 12-year-olds. There was no, no distinction there. And when it comes to college, a 14-year-old going to college, if they were a schooled 14-year-old, would be quite a big thing because they wouldn't be used to organizing their own workload. They wouldn't maybe have that kind of maturity of approach towards um, taking on the responsibility for their learning, making sure they do their work, because college is a diff you're not spoon fed the information like you are in a school. But home educators, we routinely take charge of our workload. Our, our children are encouraged from an early age to be autonomous learners. And even if you're quite structured, they're still taking responsibility for their learning. So the college move is not quite so drastic for them, I would say. Right. And again, this is, this, it's out of my jurisdiction, right? So this is also partly learning. I just love having conversation based on, you know, I, I firmly believe that everything breaks down to first principles, right? There's, there's a certain set of rules that we generally abide by, whether we should or should not abide by them is a completely different question and answer. <laughs> but these are the rules that are laid out based on, you know, how, how the world works, right? So, I guess what I was sort of getting at, in terms of academically, there's no question, right? If, if you're being taught, again, we taught our children most of what they know has been taught by us and then they expanded upon it themselves. And that's the reason why they are ahead of the class, right? Because we gave them the information at home. So great, Plus their right? attitude came from you. Absolutely. All of it. I mean, the way that, that we approached it, all of that has really... Now, we did it very specifically because we knew that they were in the school system. So here, here's another, it's very interesting. So here, here's another conversation or another piece here. My sister is in the, she, she's a principal, right? So she's in the education space. Now, I was just speaking with her yesterday because I was looking at these, what we call EQAO scores, right? Basically, they're the scores that show, like I was saying, grade three, grade six, grade nine, you know, there are different assessments that happen that show, is your child you know, a part of the norm, right? Our so that's average. pretty much, you're right. That's pretty much <laughs> what this test is saying, right? So as I was saying, I was looking through the math uh, portion with uh, many of the different schools in our city. And I noticed uh, many classes had very, very low uh, scores, right? So I talked to my sister about this and she's been in the education system for a while. And she was saying, 
well, yeah, I actually asked her, are these, did someone make an error? I thought, you know, when you use a calculator, right? Let's say you're doing a calculator formula or something and you accidentally pressed a button that made it the answer, you know, hundreds of, <laughs> you know, digits higher than you thought it would be. And it's like, oh, you know what? Ah, I made a mistake. And you do it again and you realize, oh, okay, I made a mistake. I thought that's what I was seeing in this data, right? 19% here, 16% here, right? Of the class is actually performing at the provincial standards. I, I had to call my sister. I said, well, is this true? <laughs> and she said, you know what? Yeah, it's not really that. Listen, these are problems that have been happening for years. You know, I just got here, right? So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, always here to learn. But then she said, I asked her, well, how did it work in your classrooms, right? Because she also taught grade three. She taught grade six, right? And she said, well... To be honest, one of the things that I did was I made sure that when our, my classes were going into the tests, that we were studying for those tests. We know that they're coming in grade three, so we set the children up to be successful, and my kids were always successful. And so I thought that this information was very interesting because, again, first principles, if there's something that is supposed to happen or something that's expected of you, whether it's in your job whether it's at home in your home life, whether it's in your relationship, whether it's from your children, if it's expected from you and you don't, you know, perform to those expectations or exceed those expectations, then of course there's going to be a problem, right? You're not necessarily doing what you're asked. So why put yourself in that position is my thought process. If you have the ability to, to be in, in pre to be prepared for it, my dad used to always say, right, failing to prepare is preparing to fail, right? <laughs> and I'm sure once he listens to this, he's going to be laughing because he said that probably 15,000 <laughs> times in my life, right? But it's true, right, when it comes down to it. You no. said yourself that the system is not working, that for the vast majority of children, schools fail them. And unless they are lucky enough to have a privileged background, parents that want to put the effort in, parents that have a, a, an attitude to academia that perhaps prioritizes it in the home, schools are failing them. Now, my question, I suppose, back to you is, if the system is broken, why do we want to teach our children to jump through the hoops to pass tests that are set by the system, if the system is not working? We interrupt this broadcast to remind you to like and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to join our Home Education Matters Facebook group, where you can find details on all our podcasts, any links or resources mentioned, chat to our guests, request upcoming podcasts, and even come on the podcast yourself. Do join us over there. So, okay, so there's two things here. I think one is that the system is broken, right? But then also is, does this testing work or not, right? And how has that changed over the years? Because the testing has changed, number one. Teaching styles have changed, right? Attitudes within education have changed, right? All these things have changed to the point where, so I'll give you an example, right? Because right now, how things are changing is also not working. So I ran a childcare, right? CEO of a childcare, 250 children, four centers, right? So I'm speaking with the, the early childhood educators and I'm pulling them aside one-on-one. -on -one. Firstly, apparently this is not something that happens within the sector in the first place is having one-on-ones with your ECEs. Like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense, but fine. I need to know what's happening. So I speak to them and I say, well, 
how are your children uh, within your within your your classrooms, right? Or uh, you know, obviously we have infants in there, and then you have some school age kids as well. It's 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 a range, and I'm asking them pretty specific questions about how do they learn? What are we teaching them? So here in Canada, what was implemented years ago, and now, funnily enough, it's being reversed, but it's called play based learning, where the child leads and the child goes ahead and they do some stuff. And then as an educator, you go in and you support whatever they're looking at. So if that's looking right up to a certain age, isn't it? It's actually across the board. So they like were age 16. Yeah, they were extending this process, right? So, you know, let the child learn. And then here's the result. No one knows anything anymore. Kids can't read their name. They can't write their name. They don't know one plus one. They don't know. Listen, I have some students where I'm talking to them. It doesn't, you know, they're they're in some higher grades. I'm asking them very simple questions. You know, what's six plus two? Can't figure it out, right? This is a direct Does result. Matter, though? <clears throat> Does, Does that matter, though? Does it matter? Well, but my question, I suppose, would be that, you know, we were always told, oh, you need to know this and you need to know that because, you know, it's not like you're going to be carrying a calculator around with you. And of course, we are carrying calculators around with us. We're carrying the whole world of information around with us in our pockets. And I suppose my argument would be, whilst you don't want to be totally ignorant of everything, you don't want to not be able to write, for example, you don't want to not be able to speak coherently, you don't want to not be able to do basic arithmetic. But isn't isn't it more important that we teach our children how to understand how to get information and how to analyze information rather than regurgitating information facts? So I would I would say, because this is something that comes up actually quite often, and this thought process of not being able to do your times tables and not being able to do, you know, arithmetic, not being able to do what you're asked, right? This is how the world works. If you're not able to understand how processes work and go through the process and do it according to process, how are you... Think about it from an employer standpoint. If an employer asks you to do something based on a process and you're not able to do this because you didn't learn how to do this, because you didn't learn how processes work, this is going, you're not going to get the job or you will get fired immediately, right? It's how it works. So I got hired to, into the tech company that I worked at for five years because I had a bachelor's degree. I spoke to my, and it was a bachelor's degree in music, had nothing to do with tech. And so my boss came to me and said, or I went to him and I asked him, well, why did you hire me? I mean, this isn't really, you know, up my alley. Yes, it is sort of, you know, I did go into computer science for a year, but then I, I took off. I said, I'm not doing this. Right. But what he said was, well, listen, you got into the school, which means that you understand process. You also completed a bachelor, which means that you're able to go through and deal with all of these things that like, admittedly mentioned, listen, most of the information when you go through an undergraduate, I don't use it. However, I use the skills from the process that I had to exactly. adhere to. That's right? exactly what I mean. Is it's it's about how you learn, isn't it? It's a, it's about understanding the process and the concepts, but not in uh, not understanding that six plus two is eight. That that's a mathematical memorization fact. But if you can understand the process and you can understand the concept and you can understand why you're learning these things, it's so much more important than factual learning. So I think there needs to be a blend, right? Because I'm never on both sides or I'm sorry, I'm never on either one side. It makes no sense, right? Because if you don't know six plus two and you can't get there, 
then we have a problem. And that's the problem that we have right now is that they're not, they, they're not able to learn it on their own and they're not being taught how to do it. So how do we get to the answer, right? So there are a couple buckets here. There's, so there's what's called direct uh, instruction and there's project-based learning or inquiry-based learning, right? So again, I come from music. I think it's always a great example, right? So when I'm, when I'm learning how to play the drums, right? Or any instrument, you know, piano, whatever it is. If somebody doesn't show me what to do, right? Let's say I'm playing piano and I need to play a note in a certain way or a scale in a certain way. There's certain fingering for certain scales, right? If nobody shows me this, then it will take me, I don't know how much longer to actually figure it out by myself, right? I just don't know. It's really that simple, right? If I'm not able to regurgitate this information or practice it with repetition enough times in the format in which it was presented to me, then, I mean, yeah, I could play the scale differently. Yeah, I could play it, you know, with different fingering. But at the end of the day, why? Like, it, there are millions of people who came before me that do this in this certain way, and it works, and it, it's, you know, musically sounds incredible. Technique is great. This has been developed for years, and I'm going to come in with myself now. I've been here for, you know, a couple of years on this earth and say, mm, I think I'm going to do it this way. I mean, sure, you can do that. But the reality is that if you don't know the fundamentals first, right? Know the rules before you break them. That's that's where we come from in music, right? And I think it's very important yeah. as well. Even in and business, think, it's the same situation. I think knowing the rules and then breaking them makes a lot of sense. But I think knowing, I think the emphasis on factual learning over the emphasis on analytical learning, for example, if you were to take um, the Vietnam War, as an example, wouldn't we rather that our teens were learning why it happened and the implications of it happening rather than the dates and the figures and the names of the people involved? Isn't it more important that they understand the whys rather than the the what's, when's and where's? I, I don't think there's levels of importance here, right? I think that what's important is that there are people who require the dates, and there are people who require the why. Some people don't actually require the why. And the reason why I know this is because I've run businesses, right? There are individuals who go into the businesses who, who you hire someone, right? Let's say you need somebody to, uh, I don't know, um, do some admin work, right? As an example, I need you to enter these things into spreadsheets and do these things, right? They don't care about why. When you get the, the person in that role that is there to do that job, if that person is generally, you know, if that person is there for a long time, what I have found is that they don't really care about the why. They're going there to do what they do and then go home. Right? They haven't been That's given the chance to care about the why, have they? Because they've been no, kept in, oh. a, in a very restrained kind of job. No. So in this, this is the thing, right? As a business owner, you're always looking for people to promote. You're looking for people to uh, move up the ranks and whatnot, right? But it doesn't, you can give individuals the opportunity to do certain things and they are just, they don't want to do it. It's too much responsibility, right? It's not what they want to do. They just want to go into work. They want to go home and be with their family and that's it, right? Now, if you don't give people the opportunity, and this is to your point, there is a why aspect, which I don't think is being completely ignored. In fact, I think it's being too heavily applied right now is that 
everyone needs this why explanation, right? But at the end of the day, we need to, what we need to figure out is how are we going to show progress and how are we going to show, this is why I, I do believe that standardized testing is important, right? And this is, of, of course, another argument that a lot of people are talking about, right? But there in life, there are tasks that you need to complete, right? If you need to complete these tasks and you don't know how to complete them, or the why isn't enough of a reason to complete them, well, guess what? Unfortunately, you still have to complete it, right? So knowing why actually doesn't even help most of the time. As an example, let's say you're making a YouTube channel, right? There are many things that you're doing in that YouTube channel that you may not know why you're doing it. <clears throat> there are people who say, stay consistent, do this, do that, do that. You may not know why. And if you don't do the things that you're supposed to, you're not going to make it, right? If you do these things, and I've noticed it myself personally, right? Be consistent, keep putting up footage, keep posting, do all of these things, right? And you'll start to see the slow growth. If I would have asked myself, and I did, in fact, why am I doing this? Oh, you know, try to do the research on why and how and like what, what to expect and all these things, just do the work. At some point, you just need to do the work. And this is how businesses and owners of businesses become multimillionaires because you listen to your mentors. They tell you, this is what you need to do. What stage are you at? Fantastic. This is how you get to the next place. Why wouldn't you listen to people who, and I'll tell you right now, this is the reason why we're in this state right now where children are just running the world rampantly. And we have these platforms like TikTok that are, I mean, come on, the quality of the content that's on there, that's being promoted. No one is, is monitoring these children. The parents aren't monitoring these children. I have students that come in and wow, I can't believe the things that they're allowed to do and say and wear and all of these things because the parents aren't monitoring them. The people who came before them are not, in, they're, they're not imploring their wisdom upon them, their experiences. They're letting the children find the wise for themselves. This is not reasonable. And now we're finding on many, many, again, we can go into a whole other side of things here, but on many fronts, not only from education, but on other fronts as well that are very controversial, that now when decisions have been made from those who have not heeded the advice from those who came before them, now they want to turn around and say, oh, that was a mistake. Uh... And some of these practices or thought processes are not reversible. So why not take some advice from, from people who have, from strategies that have been around for thousands of years? I just don't understand because again, coming back from the music perspective, right, left, right, left. If I need to play drums quickly, hold the stick a certain way and practice it like this. And then you can explore once you have all the information. It's great. It's nothing better than that, actually. But you need the foundation. And we don't, have found, we don't have fundamental tools anymore. This is why the homeschooling is happening, because the foundation is not in the schools. We're not providing the amount of parents that come to me as a tutor, right? I've spoken to principals and I say, hey, listen, I'm a tutor. As soon as I say I'm a tutor, they're ready to fight me. Why? I don't understand. <laughs> we're here to give the exact same. We're going towards the same goals. But for some reason, it's a shot at the ego that, oh, the schools aren't doing enough. Listen, I don't care what your ego says. What are the results saying? 
right? That's all that I care about. So that's why I have this tutoring business in the first place, right? It's fine to say, okay, you know, we have calculators in our hands and all these things. At the end of the day, can you do the work? Because the why is not always going to be there. I'll tell you that. And I'm sure most people know this, that life is going to throw some stuff at you and you don't know why. And then you're going to be searching for a why. You're not going to find it, right? Got to do the work and love to do the work. If we don't implore this with our children, give them this information immediately, as early as possible. My kids, I send them downstairs. I have these math books, right? I send them downstairs. And I'm like, here, guys, go, go do some work. Uh, I'll give them, you know, uh, decimal multiplication, right? Or, you know, so for those who can see, I have these things here. This is called an abacus, right? Uh, so it's got beads on it and, and, you know, sure, you can look it up online, right? I mean, we have access to everything, so you can look anything up you want, right? So with abacus, I just send them, I say, go work on your, on your abacus work. And they'll sit there for half hour, 45 minutes, and then they'll come down jolly. It's like, I'm done. These kids are young. And I'm just giving them math homework during our spring break. They don't care because this is how it goes, right? I think it's very important to get these kids early and understand that you can love this stuff. Enjoy this. It's great. Numbers are fantastic. Reading is great. Learning how to tell a story. I have a student that I'm teaching tomorrow for the first time. And storytelling, there's a format to storytelling. Learn the process. It's okay, right? doesn't always have to be the why. You go into the army. You stand there and you do certain things, right? Your, your, you know, your lieutenant talks to you a certain way and you build certain skills. Do the work. It's valuable. Anyway, not sure how far off we're on. That wasn't the original question, but I do think that it's important to understand the process and learn the process so that you can ask the appropriate questions after that. If you don't know six plus two, how are you going to, how are you even going to expand on that? You're going to go on Google and find out how to add six plus two. This is just, that's just a basic understanding because then you're going to get into larger portions of arithmetic and then you're not going to know how to do it. I see it with my students all the time. And so if you don't know how to do it because you were asking why for too many times previously, just learn the answer. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's not an issue. But anyway, sorry, to you. <laughs> I'm sure you have a lot you've been writing down as well. Is there a place in your in your ideology where children can learn the why and also learn the how? And so, I mean, I think it was Isaac Newton who said we stand on the shoulders of giants. And of course, we all take on learning that's happened before us. And it, it's daft to throw that out of the window just because you want to rewrite everything. No, I mean, that wouldn't make any sense. But I think every generation also needs their chance to put their imprint on things and to come to it from their own perspective. And that's how we progress as a society. So there must be a balance between allowing the child, allowing all children to understand the why. Because I think if you allow all children to understand the why, then you won't get the person who at 25 is just sat doing a data entry job and just wants to go home to his wife and watch the football. Yes. So, okay. A few things on this. One, <laughs> the answer to this is find yourself a tutor right <laughs> but of, of course, course it is you know of what i mean it is. why wouldn't that be the answer i mean here we are right and by <laughs> the way 
that is that is funny because Plato spent his entire life trying to find like the the the, the ultimate thing that you could be, and after about fifty years, he decided the ultimate thing that anyone could be was a philosopher. And you think, well, how convenient that you're a philosopher. So, <laughs> so your solution is everybody needs to get a tutor. <laughs> I mean, what other solution would there be coming from myself? Right there, you go. So what we actually call our uh, <laughs> it's so funny. So. We call our tutors, we call them personalized learning instructors, right? PLIs. Reason being is because, you know, as you know, terms are very important within our society, right? And to be honest, they've always been important. It's just that now there's a, there are different groups talking about different terms, right? Whether you have a title at your job as vice president of this or president of this or CEO or whatever, these are distinguished feeling positions, right? When you speak behind closed doors with a lot of these individuals, they're all thinking, wow, I mean, yeah, I'm VP of this, but it's really just for the external. I'm just here to do my job. Let's get things done, right? This is how it works. But you need the titles in order to understand. Now, this idea of PLIs that we've sort of coined here is that tutor is so negatively looked upon, right? You say tutor, and it's like, well, oh, it's somebody who is helping someone who needs help. And, and then, you know, you're going into speak with other teachers and they don't really value tutors and all of these things, right? These conversations are happening on a minutely basis with me specifically, right? So what, what we've coined is personalized uh, learning instructors. And the reason we did this is exactly the reason that you just said. It's not always all about the content. And the reason it's not about the content all the time is because you need the child to, what I say, it's the three L's, right? They need to love it. Then they can learn it and then they can live it, right? Those are the three L's that we have here. So how do we understand how the child learns? And this is what I was saying initially as well, is that when you know how you learn, then you can just love whatever you're learning. It's great. The content is secondary. You still need to know the content. There's no question about it. If you're going to code, now coding is interesting because you can also find a lot of information online in order to code. You can actually copy and paste code when you're doing, you know, making programs and whatnot. You still need to understand the fundamentals at the end of the day. So you still need to know what order to put things in and all of that, right? There's always going to be a level of fundamental that you need to understand that you cannot get away from. Very important, right? So this idea of, of loving, learning, and living. So when I go in and I speak with these children, I the first questions I ask them is, Firstly, how's your day, right? What'd you do today, right? Even when I'm doing an assessment, it's the same thing, right? What's your name, right? What grade are you in? I might have this information already, but what I need to understand and uncover is how do you interact with people? Are you looking at me? Are you looking heads down? Are you not answering the question? Because I have that as well with some assessments that I've done, right? Where it takes the whole assessment before they start talking to me. And then I realize, this is the type of person you are. So I understand now and we know how to work with each other, right? Sometimes it takes me two assessments to understand how do I how do I work with this child? So the why, it actually needs to come from us. Why are we teaching the content in the way that we're teaching it? Surely yes. you're teaching the content in the way you're teaching it because that's how you've understood the child wants to learn it. Yes, and that's yeah. in every different... Now, we do have a curriculum right? Our curriculum is very specific. Mm. These are the things that we need to hit, right? We need to be able to do division in our, you know, yellow, uh, yellow jam, right? John Abe's method in our yellow jam curriculum. We need to have our division locked in, 
right? We need to have our multiplication up to the three times tables, right? We need to have this, this, that, that, that. The curriculum does not change, right? Mm -hmm. The answers will never change. You can change the question to get to the same answer, right? You can change the format to get to the same answer. I still need the answer. But the route right? into the learning, that is dictated by the child's interests, I'm guessing, right? And their style of learning. Um, the the route into which I explain how the concept works changes. Mm. It's all on me. It's not on the child, right? I'm still directly teaching the child. It's just that I figured out. And I think that's where part of the magic comes in as well, is that for some reason, so whenever I see kids, all they want to do is just like grab my leg and, you know, bother me. I don't know what this is. It's been like this for since I was young, right? They just want to hang out with me and have fun and whatever, right? And I don't know if that's partly, I mean, again, I run a tutoring business, so it must be that, you know, I like kids and kids like me. So great, right? So it's fantastic. There's a synergy there, but there's something that I'm able to, you know, uncover and understand. So here's, here's another example as well. Last night, right? I'm with my wife. It's hilarious. So we're all on the couch. So of course our kids are home, right? So they they stay up until who knows what hour of the night, right? I'm I'm doing some work on the couch. They're they're, you know, my wife is doing my daughter's hair and whatever. So we're sitting there and there's there's this uh, you know, the wiggles, right? I'm not sure if you know the wiggles, but the wiggles, they are a group of uh they're they they create content for children, right? And they're out of Australia and they've, you know, done done many things. So one of the members from the wiggles she actually went and went on to another venture, right? Uh, she started uh, her own sort of, uh, you know, uh, child venture where she was dealing mostly with those who were uh, deaf children, right? She had a, an affinity with that and whatnot. So, you know, she understands sign language and she creates all these things. And of course she has a name so she can sell merchandise and all these things, right? So my daughter, right? And my wife was just talking to me about this too, right? And my daughter, she, she turned to my wife and she said, so, but why did she leave? I thought she liked it, like being with the Wiggles, right? And she, and my wife is giving a lot of different explanations, right? Like, oh, you know, well, sometimes, you know, you just need to move and go do certain things in their life and, you know, uh, you know, whatever other reasons there were, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to all the reasons because, again, I love normalizing everything, right? I'm, immediately, I'm in teacher mode. And I'm hearing all the reasons and my daughter just keeps asking, but why, but why, but why would she do that? I thought she liked it, but why, why would she go and, uh, and pursue another venture? Why would she do all these things? Right. She's not getting the, the answer that she's looking for. Now I know my daughter pretty well. I mean, again, I'm a personalized learning instructor, so I'm going and I'm understanding how these kids work. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I already know what the answer is, but I need, that's going to make her fine. But I want to see how this interaction works because this is all research for me. So, you know, five minutes goes by and she's still just not satisfied. And I asked her, are you satisfied? She's like, not really. So I just told her because for some reason this wasn't mentioned to her at the time that she's, she's going to help deaf children. And my daughter looked at me and she was like, oh, okay. And I look at my wife, my wife looks at me, right? And she already knows what I'm thinking because at the end of the day, there are children who are looking for answers in a certain way. And when you give them and you understand that that's how it works, then you can break down the, the barriers. That's how we need to do it. And it's always on the educator, but here's the problem. 
if you have 30 children in the classroom and they all require different answers, the, the year is done <laughs> by the time you explain one concept to each of the children, right? So this is where sort of we, I, I would say that we come in. And as parents, as mentors, as anyone who has, is one of the giants that is, has someone standing on you, you're there to interpret how that person learns. And this is why mentors themselves, they find affinity with those business partners because they're thinking on the same wavelength. They can, and by the way, that only, uh, that generally only lasts for a time. Mentors change all the time, right? But those who are, who, those who, who align and have the affinity with understanding how the other individual learns and how the under, under, other individual uh, interacts, that's when you can really break around. But you can't do that with 30 kids in your class. It's, it's literally impossible. This isn't, uh, it's not a discussion, right? Teachers are under, and then add on top of that now, because I was having, I, I do a ton of research. I don't know. Every day there's a piece of research that I'm kind of going into. But I was just uh, talking to about six teachers uh, just a couple of days ago. And I said, how many of your children are struggling in your class, right? And I'm getting all kinds of different perspectives and percentages. Some are saying 50%, some are saying 20%, 30%, whatever it is, right? And what I found is that with these teachers, it's not only the content and the academics that they're struggling with, but now they have the added, I guess, pressure of needing to deal with the mental health of these children because this is what is, this is how the world is, is working. They're not getting extra pay for it. They're definitely not getting extra time for it. That's impossible. Can't just give extra time, right? So when you're dealing with the mental health now of the 30 kids in your classroom, of course, nothing's going to work. It wasn't working before, like you had mentioned, but at some point it was working because we were able to regurgitate these facts. We were able to get to where we are in society today based on how it was before. So happy for innovation. Listen, I'm the first for innovation, right? But don't throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater. These, you know, previous things that I don't even know if we're allowed to say these things anymore, but it's what it is. <laughs> these are old adages that are always remain true, right? Don't toss the whole system out. Grab what works and continue doing that. Don't stop doing things because they're working. Right. There's a contingent of information and process that has been working, that's been thrown out the window. And now we're going back to it. The Ministry of Education here in Canada is now going back to explicitly teaching mathematics when they threw it out the window for eight years. Even though new research was coming in throughout that those eight years saying we need to explicitly teach our children mathematics. So it's just how the world works. We're always going to get in those cycles, but at the end of the day, we've gotten to this point in society somehow. It's not from not knowing six plus two, I'll tell you that, right? So just understand the content, know the content. Sometimes you're not ready for the why. We need to understand this as well as people who are, who are adults. There's information that I look back on now that if I had the mindset that I have now when I was a kid, in terms of learning something or understanding a concept, different story. I'd be a trillionaire by this point, right? We don't have the we don't have that that uh, understanding when we're younger, and that's why we need to lean on the adults. And if our adults are telling us there's this, I don't understand what it is. There's this obsession with making our children more autonomous. Why? They don't have the experience. They don't know. We're here to give that experience, but no, they need to learn on their own. They need to, you know, figure everything out themselves. 
why that's the why that I need that I'm asking, right? I think so I can answer that, that why if it helps. Yes. Yes. <laughs> please. Is it I is mean, it uh, something to do with tutoring? No, I'm just anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not all Plato for that matter. I think yeah. I think the unschooling perspective would be that how can we expect our children to gain experience if we don't allow them the freedom to experience things? Okay. Again, no issues with allowing children to experience. However, with no context for your experience, you're just floundering. It's how it is. If I put a guitar in your hand, I don't know if you play guitar. Maybe you do. Maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. (laughs) I don't play guitar. But if I did, I would definitely want a tutor. However, my daughter, she wanted to learn to play the guitar when she was 13. I wanted to get her a tutor. She wanted to teach herself how to play the guitar just because she just wanted to do it her own way. And some children just do like to do it their own way, don't they? I would say that all children want to do it their own way. And all children should do it their own way. However, (laughs) how did she learn it? Because my question to you is, did she sit in her room by herself and not watch any YouTube videos? Yeah. She sounded like Leonard Cohen. It was not such a good thing. However, it was herself and her authentic self. So there's no doubt that she would have been better, quicker with the tutor. But the journey would have been so different for her. And right. the journey so, matters, so, doesn't it? Of course. So sorry, just just for clarity, just so I understand. What was her process for learning? Would, would she sit in the room and just listen to records? And Because uh, I'm wondering, how do you know that the shape of a chord is correct? She didn't know the names. She just... Oh, no, not, not names. Wise, almost made like, up her own chords. Interesting. Okay. I would need to dig more into this process <laughs> because... If she didn't watch any YouTube videos and no one showed her any information at all whatsoever when it came to playing a guitar, then this is something that is like the 0.000001% of the world. Because you, it is, I've never seen a case where someone has gone into something understanding any portion of it and they weren't shown at least how to start. So if this is your daughter... It happens quite often in the unschooling community in the UK, actually. There's that sense that the child, if they show an interest in something, you can facilitate it. But if they want to do it on their own, you just give them that freedom to do it. And and or, and I suppose it's about outcome. And I think one thing I'm discovering from, from our chat today is that actually you and I have very similar hows like how something is done, but we have very different whys. And I know you don't like the whys, but I think in actual fact, there's a lot of common ground between your approach and the home education approach, which is that you should um, engage the child with the learning. You should discover how they learn concepts best and then tailor tailor things to that. And that's very, that, that kind of bespoke approach is very home education. But for us, it's not about doing this so that they have the answers and they know the content and can get the qualifications. Although for some home educators, it is, of course, but but predominantly it's about the why, you know, why are we doing this? Why do we want our child to love learning? Why do we want our child to take charge of their own learning journey? Why do we want our child to choose the things that they're interested in learning? So for us, it's all about, I think, the why. And I get the impression that your why is different to our why. <laughs> 
So my why is always going to be that I know what is coming ahead. As a giant, you know, your words, I'm not saying a giant as in I'm the king of the world because I'm nowhere near, <laughs> right? I, I have seen what's happening. I know what lies ahead. I'm, let's take the, the height of a giant as an example. I'm just taller. I can just see further, right? So here, let me show you what I'm seeing, right? This is to me, direct instruction. Let me show you what I'm seeing. Here's the information. Here's the tools that are set because again, everything is built on the past. So if we are going to be innovative, Firstly, all innovation requires a why. Anyone who has learned through the school system previously that has created items like our chat GPT, items like our laptop that we're using right now, Zoom, um, this microphone, uh, the ability to use internet, there's always a why that's asked. This has been developed through the ability to ask why. I think that's where we agree, right? Absolutely. However, there's a technical portion that if you are just going to ignore the past and the previous, I mean, it's fine if you want to sit in your, in your room and, you know, learn guitar and have fun with that. And it's great. Right. But your life cannot be a gigantic hobby. <laughs> I would love to sit here and just kind of float around and, you know, just do this every now and then if I need to, you know, make a suit jacket because I want to, I'll just do it for some time and then I'll enjoy the process and all that. All these things are incredible in a utopian world, but at the end of the day, the world runs in a certain way. You have to create value, got to make money. You have to make money for other individuals. You have to make money for yourself. You have, you should implore this information down to your children. You don't have to, you can let them explore it on their own and figure it out themselves. But I mean, why there's another question right it's just not it, so to me i'm thinking there is a goal ahead regardless of how you set it it doesn't matter who you are you have to exist in society so if you have to do things like make money and you have to do things like eventually get a job you don't have to but chances are you'll probably need to the probability is very high that you'll need to have a job at some point right why wouldn't we push towards that direction so that our children have an easier time? I think that one thing that I think is is so clear from this podcast is that you and I have completely different ideas about education. <laughs> and so for me, it is all about non-conforming and rebellion against the school system, rebellion against capitalism, rebellion against all sorts of oppressive systems that we inherit from previous generations. And for me, it's all about empowering children to be the outlier, I suppose, you know, to be the, the one that doesn't conform and that doesn't buy into the system. But I 100% respect your approach, which is probably considerably more realistic. And it's also a lot less utopian, as you say. And it's, um, you know, it's much more sort of um, firmly entrenched in the ground, which is that this is the society we live in, and unfortunately, results matter. And so I, I, I understand absolutely where you're coming from. And so for any of our listeners who also agree completely with you and think that I am 
an insane leftist liberal hippie. <laughs> so for those that actually a team Maxwell in this podcast, where can our listeners find you? Where can they access your approach to learning? Yeah. So, I mean, so listen, I am also, I would say team Eleanor as well. <laughs> Have the conversation. Cause like you said, this, what we're doing right now is exactly what you are saying is should be happening and is happening in the homeschooling, right? Why are these things happening? Right. And again, myself, remember I went through music. I didn't, I didn't start with this, you know, capitalist <laughs> sort of mindset where I'm trying to go out and make money and get my blue collar job. And all. I am a musician. I did this for 15 years. All right. So I'm coming from a different, anyway, more conversation to be had. I'm sure at some point, John <laughs> Abe's learning. Right. We've got our website, johnaves.com, J-O-N-A-Y-V-E-S.com. On Twitter, John Aves TV, right? J-O-N-A-Y-V-E-S TV. Uh, also, we have our Facebook as well, John Aves Learning Club. Uh, we have our we have digital tutoring that we're doing. So on uh, YouTube, we have a couple of channels, right? We have our John Aves TV YouTube channel. Uh, you know, our kids are I actually just uploaded one today of my my daughter. She was doing a Rubik's Cube. She taught me to do it. Well, I taught her how to do it. And then she took it and ran. Right. And now <laughs> she's teaching me all these different things. It's unbelievable. Uh, so we've got a bunch of shorts with that in mathematics. And that's at John Aves TV. And then we also have our skip counting uh, uh, videos as well that are you know more animated at AJ's House Kids. So A-J-S-H-O-U-S-E-K-I-D-S. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Maxwell Roach. And honestly, it's, it's, this has been great. I, I love having these conversations. And I know that, you know, at times, you know, you get into it, you're, there's, there's different points of view, but I'm all about asking why. And I'm all about also looking at data, what works, what doesn't work, right? So your approach is amazing, right? Because you're taking the children and you're saying, this is how we're going to learn based on what you are doing. And I think that is what we need to look for in education. This is actually what we're pushing for with our school boards right now is we need to have these personalized learning incentives, right? And, and our educators and our instructors coming in and talking to the children and understanding how do you learn so that we can actually give you a better chance throughout this system that maybe we so adore or do not adore, right? It's, it's what it is. At the end of the day, let's at least give the kids a great chance to enjoy the journey as you were mentioning. And sometimes it's just you got to do the work. And that's okay, right? Just go through it. So thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. I love squeezing the juice out of the fruit, right? When you're having conversation. Thank you very, very much, Maxwell. It's it's actually, it's very pleasurable to end a podcast basically with us both uh, concluding that the school system is completely broken because as a home <laughs> educator, that's how I like to end all my podcasts. <laughs> so thank you so much, Maxwell. That's been lovely to have you on today. And uh, hopefully you can come on again sometime and we can, we can renew our, our entrenched, <laughs> our entrenched one side and the other discussion. How's that sound? That's perfect, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Maxwell. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.